1: no purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: I'm in this world, and they made me Welcome a monster back to 32 Fans. Sure
3: I'm Alex Chester. With me, as so always, is Wheels Wienerker. Wheels, how's it rolling?
2: It's rolling great. I feel like here in the 32 Fans community, we have a few traditions. Um what are our traditions actually? We do 32 fans in 32 days in the summer that's like our main thing, yeah, but not even really anymore. <laughs> no, we do that we, I mean okay. don't give us no credit we, we do that uh yeah. we don't do 32 fans, but we talk about 32 teams. Uh, do okay. we have any other traditions we we were like we like rank stuff at the end of the year.
3: We have 32 fans in April for the NFL draft.
2: Yeah, we do the NFL draft thing. yeah,
3: we do best of you know TV shows and podcasts of the year at the end of December as normal
2: yep, yep, yeah, that's something we do every year.
3: And then we do um, best movies of the year two months late.
2: Yeah, two months late with Av. Although not only like six weeks late because it really we we had we made for the first time ever a schedule of like here's what podcast we're going to do in February, yeah. and that really bit us in the butt because we did not know when the Oscars were. We thought it was like February 28th or something or March 10th. Uh, and Apparently, the Oscars are the week after the Super Bowl. No, I got to
3: say we're very lucky to have our guest Av Sinensky on here because you know yeah. when we when we started doing this a couple of years ago i assume he had nothing else to do except you know watch movies all day but now
0: av is on like six
3: different podcasts. most prolific man move over rob eight different podcasts 14 i don't even know
0: who could even I, keep track anymore honestly yeah.
3: so welcome back to 32 fans of uh you and i have started another podcast without akiva where we do it's a curb rewatch it's called pretty 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 good a curb your enthusiasm podcast and you have what two different movie podcasts right now
0: um, well, I have the the one with your brother and with Will that we do mm-hmm. once a month, um, and then two movies. Uh- Yes, thirty-two fans movies. I know Kiva. Okay. The, t- the, the The title makes no sense. Whatever, it is what it is. The title
3: of this podcast makes no sense. It's all.
0: Yeah, if somebody has a good title for us, you know, suggest it to us, and we'll probably use it because you know we don't really put that much thought into things like that. Um, Just, also, call Just call thirty-two yeah, movies. Call thirty-two movies. Maybe we'll do that. Also, if somebody wants to design a logo for us, our logo is horrible, so you know we'll take that as well. Any any thing anyone wants to do for us, we will gladly accept. Um, and yeah, I'm very excited about our new Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast, and I do a new a podcast with Zach Brooks and Brendan Fitzpatrick called The Movie Ladder, where we watch a new movie every week that in somehow connects to the movie from the previous week, and it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah. I was in
3: the middle of listening to that when I interrupted to uh, listen to this, so I don't know what's coming after Groundhog Day yet. Uh, yeah, y'all have to tune in and find out. Yeah. All right, so let's jump right into it. Av, you watched 120 movies in 2019, is that correct? 100. You watched 120 2019 releases.
0: Correct. I actually watched one since then, but we're gonna not count it because it's not part of the list that I made. Okay.
3: And uh, overall, was this year? How would you rate this year as a total year for movies?
0: I thought it was a year that was very top heavy, where meaning that I think that the top ten to twenty movies of this year are very very strong, especially the, my top ten, and I would put up, put those up against the top ten or twenty from basically any other year in recent memory. Um, But I think that it starts to fall off from there with a, you know, bigger cliff than I'm used to. And my like 20 to 40 and 40 to 60 are movies that I really don't feel that strongly about, even if I might have enjoyed them. Whereas in previous years, there were years where even into my 40s, 50s were movies that I thought were very good. All right. Uh, Akiba, where do you want to start? Should we start at the bottom? Yeah, we always start at the worst and move
2: our way up and, you know, really talk about the top 10. But I, I like to highlight, absent this list, I like to highlight uh, which movies are worth talking about. But I definitely think it's worth starting with the worst movie on his list, number 120, uh, and that is the film Cats.
0: Yeah, so this is a movie that what I think, think about Cats, is though? on, was like last on many people's lists for this year. Um it isn't that often that there's a movie that's this bad that so many people go to see but Cats has like taken on somewhat of this like cult following now it's become like all of a sudden like a new version of the room where people are going to see it ironically and like yelling things out and a friend of mine told me that there was a part of the movie that where he saw it where people were like holding up their cell phones together and like singing and dancing together so it's just become this like fun communal experience for a lot of people Um, it's just like an absolutely wretched movie Um, it just like doesn't make any sense there's no plot It's It's just extremely frightening, like just to see these cats that are very off scale and weird looking and have fur in weird places and then don't have whiskers, but do have whiskers. And there's just like, no, it doesn't look like a lot of thought was put into this movie, which is very surprising given the amount of money that was spent on it, the quality of the talent that was attached to it. It's just like this once in a lifetime horror show that, you know, I think that people like will be studying for years trying to understand why this happened and how it happened. Eva are you totally absent here I'm not totally absent
2: I I, I didn't know he was done speaking like time I we do think it there was like be a 10 first gap. of all am I totally absent you're you're not gonna you're not gonna speak five words on this podcast and you're asking me if I'm totally absent because you okay, didn't then see then these start movies. saying words okay um I, I do th- I wonder if it'll come around like actually cats was like a B-minus movie it isn't that bad I wonder if there will ever be like a backlash to it well, uh, I, I, I I
0: wouldn't think well. so after that What By the way, what's Climax, the second worst movie of the year? Just what's that about? So, (laughs) interestingly, Climax is, like, in the top five for Will for his movies of the year. Um, So this has been, like, a running joke between us that, like... Oh, my God. There was a a long stretch of this year where my least favorite movie of the year was his favorite movie of the year, but, like, then our our list got a little bit shuffled, but um, it's this French movie about this group of people that, like, takes LSD, and they go on, like, a really weird LSD trip, and, like, they get locked in this room and, like, they dance together, and it's just very upsetting and disturbing, and I guess that's why we liked it but it i thought oh it was i'm a, with you yeah, Chester, it was, it's I'm, I'm horrible. With, i'm on team Av here this sounds terrible yeah, yeah. It, i thought it was horrible sorry will for america
2: uh you hated rocket man you have rocket man at 112 that's the type of movie you know the golden globes actually gave it love which is insane i don't know why they didn't put adam sandler in the comedy category for uncut gems at the golden globes that would have made sense he definitely would have at least got a nom uh why was that bad you thought that was a comedy movie no no but neither is Rocket Man, and you could put any movie wherever you want. Well, but in, he would have won the award, in, and it would have changed the, the narrative. By the way,
3: if we can go behind the curtain for a second, Ro- Akiva sent, Av sent us his list
0: of 120 movies. Akiva bolded the ones
3: he wants mm-hmm. to talk about, and he's already ignoring that and discussing yeah, all fine. the
0: movies that are on Well, uh, we, don't, we don't expect good organization. Yeah, Av could talk about these movies. Uh,
2: just pipe down, Alex. Okay.
0: You also made a calendar for February and didn't know when the Oscars
2: so, <laughs> so, you know. Or that they were in
3: February. It, how how can you find that information? It's not like you can Google it and find that out easily. Yeah,
0: you just have to like wait till one, you know you no, just check your listings Google that Sunday. You yeah, wait for TV I open my TV out.
3: guide the week of, and then I find out when the Oscars are.
0: Yeah, so just to correct you, uh, the the categories in the Golden Globes are there's best drama, and then there's best comedy or musical. Slash so musical. So that's right. why Rocket Man is in the musical category. But anyway, um, so Rocketman was like kind of like two movies in one. It was like a combination of like a bunch of like music videos that were these like sequences where things, different things play out to the tunes of Elton John's music. And those were like, there were a couple that were okay. Most of them I just found very weird and off-putting. And then there was a biopic element of it, which I just found to be very boring and way too conventional for somebody who is as interesting as Elton John. And like I went into this movie wanting to understand kind of similarly to Bohemian Rhapsody of last year, like... Both Freddie Mercury and Elton John are very unique performers with a very specific style, and, like, I wanted to f- understand what it is it that made these people tick and made them the way they are, and the movie just, like, didn't even bother to try to address any of that, and just, like, attributed all of Elton John's life to, like, he had daddy issues or mommy issues or whatever it was, and it was just, like, so bland and boring. Well, but I thought the same about Bohemian Rhapsody last year and a lot of people loved it. So I'm glad
3: at least this time that there's more consensus. that. this
0: Yeah, I good. would say that at least what Bohemian Rhapsody had going for it was like these, oh, the music was good. Yeah, like I'm just like these big, like high yeah. scale performances that were like very well executed, and impressive to see. Whereas Rocketman was all these just like self-contained music videos that I just like didn't really get into that, that much, that much into.
2: Uh, One more question. Uh, This one is actually on the list. 109 for movies outside the top 100. Uh, There's two big movies, actually. Big-time movies that did really well at the box office, maybe not compared to what they were supposed to. But at 109, The Lion King, 104, Star Wars, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I mean, you act – we know that you like every movie that once we get to the 60s or 70s, listeners who – and these are not tiered on the list you sent me, but listeners who listen every year know that. But once we get to like the 90s, it's like meh, and the bottom 20 are usually actively disliked. Yeah. So you actively dislike The Lion King and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. I mean, The Lion King was just more like a complete waste of my time than actively disliking it because, like, it's just basically a shot for shot remake of the original Lion King, just without any of the heart, without any you know laughter anything that like connects you to the, these characters um and a lot of that is just because they're instead of being animated they're just like these animatronic animals that like don't have facial expressions and like you just like don't connect with them at all so it's just like a really boring waste of time uh star wars i'm more like actively disliked even though i have it higher um because i get i think it just like had more that it brought to the table like you know it had some good action sequences but i really really disliked it um it just I thought was a, a very horrible ending to a franchise that had shown like it was starting to rebound. And then I think the last couple entries in the new Star Wars films have been, you know, real disappointments. And I'm sorry to see that. But, you know, hopefully they could rebound. The uh, I guess the only other bright side of this is that I took my daughter to see it and she loved it. But she also loves every movie she sees. So I don't know how much we want to uh, reward that. Yeah. She's the opposite of my son. Who's what was
2: scared your kid's of favorite movie, movie of the year?
0: Um, uh, Her yeah. favorite what movie of the year? And we- hides Famously hides out in Yeah, Toy Story 4 was her favorite She really loved it yeah. Did I yeah, mention yeah, on this same podcast here. Same here the, uh,
3: the Good Burger thing with my son Yeah, I heard that
2: No, you did not mention Do you want to?
3: Oh, my son a couple weeks ago On a Saturday night The synagogue was having like a movie night For first and second graders and the movie they chose in the year 2020 for first and second Wait, graders... Wait, the
2: synagogue was running it, but it was in someone's house, right? I think that's very... Yeah, the synagogue youth organization
3: was running it, but it was being hosted by okay, yes, yeah, someone yeah, in the yeah, house. Fine. And the movie so that they chose the for first and second graders in 2020 was Keenan and Kel's Good Burger from 1995 or
0: whatever. Yeah, that's a very bizarre choice. I don't know why. Why did they pick that? Yeah. It's
2: really just an insane... Like If, I had, if, if we had made a list yeses, of 100, let's say this was like our full-time job, yeah. No, they like, and it shouldn't have been the movie if we had a hundred yeah. choices. And by the way, my son
3: was scared of it, but he's scared of every movie.
2: Yeah. So that that's a explain,
3: really. He, he didn't did explain it? why, but it was also great when he was trying to tell us what movie it was because he says to Jen and I, he's like, "It was a movie about about two hamburger stores," and we're like, and we had no idea what we said. We're like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, the hamburger stores trying to hurt the other hamburger store by putting it out of business." We had, and then all of a sudden, my wife's like, "Oh, good burger." <laughs> Um, which I've never seen. Have you guys even seen Good Burger? I have not. All right. Uh, can I propose it for, for the uh, the movie ladder next week? You can if it has a
0: good connection to the movie
3: that we saw this week. Well, I got to find out what you're seeing, what the next week's episode. That's is right.
0: Fini- so let's let's pause. You'll finish yeah. that episode, and we'll yeah. see if if Good Burger fits. And then you know we'll it, go there. It would there.
3: have con- it would have connected to uh, Groundhog Day because they both feature an SNL cast member.
0: Yeah, that's a, That's okay. Yeah. Not the strongest connection I could think of, but yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, Well, I I don't think I've ever seen Groundhog Day from start to finish either, and I'm going to duck as people throw things at me.
0: Oh, you should. You should. It's really good. Yeah.
3: Yeah. All right. Uh, Okay, so uh, where are we going next on this list? Can we get into the top 100, please?
2: Yes, we can get into the top 100. Uh, You know, this movie is one of the last few on my list I have not gotten to. I'm a little upset about it. Um, But you hated it So maybe I shouldn't even bother uh, 88, the Olympics, Atlanta Olympics bombing movie Richard Jewell, tell me a little about that
0: yeah, so I mean, you might enjoy it just because of your fascination and love for the Olympics and anything related to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was just and his love for Clint Eastwood's politics. That's right. That's right. Um, I thought it was just All really, right. really poorly made. Um, Paul Walter Hauser as the lead character, Richard Jewell, is very good in it, and that's probably the only thing I liked about the movie. Um, people might remember him from Itania. He has just kind of this like Coen Brothers vibe to him, as just like this guy but who can't I do Tanya, anything. Right? He
3: was like hilarious. Is he also yeah. very funny in
0: this movie or just the he's sad thing. not. Funny. It's more just like the sad side. He's like kind of like an an older guy who's, you know, down on his luck. He lives with his mom. He doesn't really have anything else going on in his life. And he gets a job working in security for the Olympics. And he discovers during the Olympics that there's a bomb hidden underneath a park bench somewhere and alerts, you know, other people and starts clearing the area. And then it goes off. And then for some reason, and I literally say for some reason, because the movie never makes this clear. He becomes the primary suspect, and this information is leaked to the media, and, like, everyone in in Atlanta is following him around, cameras everywhere, thinking that he's the guy who did this, that, like, he was, like, this guy with, like, a hero fantasy. And when I – again, I say, like, the, the movie never makes clear why the FBI suspected him other than, like, he was kind of a loser. And that was just, to me, like, a humongous flaw. Um the, the FBI characters are just painted like a so one note in evil. There's also a controversy with Olivia Wilde's character, who is shown to sleep with one of the FBI characters played by John Hamm in order to get the information. Apparently, this never happened, never came close to happening. They just made it up for the movie um, about a real person. Um, so, like, there's just like a lot of problems with this movie.
3: But Avi, you're saying independent of sort of the
0: controversy,
3: which is sort of tied to Eastwood's general, sort of late Clint Eastwood's, you know, sort of
0: not always honest treatment of, of the government and media, independent of all that, you just didn't like it. Correct. Yeah, I just like didn't think it worked very well. I mean, the movie makes a very deliberate choice to show us from the beginning that he's innocent. Like we see the scene in real time where he, you know, discovers the bomb and then, you know... the the 90% of the movie is about whether or not he did it or not. And you're like, well, we know. So like you need to then have an interesting angle to kind of show the FBI's perspective. And like, there's just nothing interesting there. It's kind of almost like Sully, which I like despite that, where they kind of create this fake controversy for like investigating the guy who saved hundreds of people on a plane, like like a hero, and turn him into the bad guy. And here, again, they turn the hero into the bad guy for no good reason. And it's just not ever made clear why that happens.
3: Akiva's like still not listening. So uh, interesting.
0: No,
2: I am listening. By the way, then you put the Fire, every time the fire Festival talking, movies...
3: You just sit there quietly for like 60 seconds.
2: Because I'm... Adv- I'm why can't you speak? Why, why do I have to carry this podcast on my back? Like, I'm Yeah, freaking, I don't talk enough uh, on
3: 32 That's the biggest issue.
2: Uh, so you had the Fire Fraud movies, uh, of at seventy six, seventy seven. I just thought it was funny because I've completely forgotten about them and would never, ever, ever have ranked them. Plus, I don't think they count for my rankings, which were... Um, uh, yeah, I always say they have to be like a real, you know, in the theater, at least like one theater. I'm not sure if those movies were. Right. Uh, and another F movie I have right there, Ford vs. Ferrari is actually nominated for an Oscar. So
0: yeah, I'm down on Ford vs. Yeah, Ferrari. Yeah, I might have like overcompensated a little bit in, in my ranking just because it, it's like fine. It's just so generic that I just like didn't care. Um, also, you know, they tell this like underdog sports story where you're supposed to be rooting for the Ford Motor Corporation to win. And it's just like, whatever.
2: Uh yeah, no bigger underdog than the Ford Motor
0: Yeah, But uh, it's you know, but it's but it's very uh, it's well made, and Christian Bale and Matt Damon are both very good. So I, I probably should have ranked it a little bit higher than I did the more I think about it, but whatever.
2: Uh, at number 69, you have yesterday. Uh I have a hot take about yesterday. Alright, let's hear it. If ten different filmmakers, if ten different filmmakers made that same movie, this would have been the ninth or tenth best of those ten. Um meaning they had a
0: Hall of Fame concept, and they just totally punted it, yeah, and, and made it meh. And that to me is the most was the most frustrating part of seeing the movie because it's like hard to separate the expectations of the premise from the actual movie. Um, and again, here's one where I think I'm being a little bit hard on the movie because of that. Where it was like it was fine. It was like a perfectly decent like music rom com with like a you know good lead and okay love interest. And you know if you put it on like on a Saturday night in your house with your wife and watch it for an hour and forty minutes, you would say okay that was fine. But when it starts out with this like incredible premise of a world where the beatles don't exist and just like this idea of like where are we going to go from that how would the world be the same how would it be different what's going to happen when he starts introducing the greatest band of all time instead of in the 1960s in a totally different time and place and it just like doesn't even engage with any of that like it the, the movie doesn't seem interested in its own premise and now the premise was just like totally wasted on this movie and we'll never get to see the good version of it and that's to me what was like so disappointing about it yeah and I like they how make on your one movie, movie Ladder podcast, you sort of said there was a similar issue with sliding doors. In your opinion, yeah, the same thing. It's like a cool idea, and like you start watching it, and you're like waiting for the movie to like yeah. actually deal with it. And I actually I said on this week that like the the big difference between sliding doors and Groundhog Day is that Groundhog Day after like 20 minutes, the whole movie becomes about the main character engaging with the premise and trying to figure it out and see how it works and can he escape from it can he can he beat the system somehow and that's what makes it interesting in sliding doors and in yesterday it like the the filmmaker doesn't seem to care that he discovered this amazing premise and like explored it anyway and that's just so frustrating now sliding um, doors
2: I, I would
3: guess that in 2020 like the over 98% of references to sliding doors are references not to not not to the not to the movie itself, but
0: to sort of just the concept. Yeah, either the beginning. concept or actual sliding doors, which is what I found. That when I started well, yes. tried Googling it, I was like the first twenty results were all for like Lowe's and home and Home Depot.
3: Sure, actual sliding doors.
0: That's yeah. true. But yeah, when I look for like I, I always like search after I see a movie. I go to like iTunes to see if I could find podcasts that have previously discussed it because I like to listen to other people talk about a movie that I just saw and The first result was a Bill Simmons episode where they talked about, like, 76ers sliding doors, like, a few weeks ago. And, like, the next 10, again, were, like, different sliding doors, like, you know, in history, and pop culture. And then it was, like, only further down the list was it, like, sliding doors starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah.
3: But the idea of sliding doors could be brought back the same way, frankly, like, the idea of Groundhog Day was sort of brought back in Russian Doll last year on Netflix.
0: Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's these are both like ideas that now I think have been so and so brings back to our
3: actual topic. Like yesterday, like the concept isn't permanently ruined by this movie, right? It could they could try something like that similarly somewhere else.
0: Yeah, it was just like so like doing it specifically with the Beatles. I thought was just like such a good idea, Um, and it's just I I you know I don't think that someone could like literally make that same movie again and just make a better version of it without it just feeling like, didn't we do this already? I mean, yeah, you could certainly explore that idea with a different thing, but it just, the Beatles just seemed like such the perfect pop culture thing to do that with. And, you know, I think it's probably just lost now.
2: Um, Yeah. By the way, the best TV show example of this, do you guys have a guess why? before I tell you the
0: correct answer? Of a concept that was great that was just ruined? hundred percent. Yes, yes. Nothing that comes to mind. So I'll I'll have I'll I'll just go to the correct answer. <laughs> the
2: CBS uh, Saturday Night Show Early Edition. It's such a great concept, and it stars Kyle Chandler. The you know the premise, you oh, guys. Oh, I love I love Early Edition. I used to watch it yeah, every Saturday. I watched night. it. Because yeah, I think
3: you made me or you told me to. So I went online and watched it
2: the whole season. Um, it, yeah, it is. It is such a great premise, though. Uh, you know that that he gets the newspaper a day early. It's such a fun premise. Yeah, I like the and show. And I wouldn't say it was wasted. Yeah, I liked it bad, too, it? but they it it could it could have been like a, like that's a premise of a hit show on CBS that lasts fifteen years, you know that the, and has spinoffs. Like they they didn't really all the supporting characters were kind of dull to me, and and it, they made it too gritty and and rough. I don't know. Yeah, uh, there for was a CBS show. There especially. was
0: the girl, the blind girl. Um, well, I think the blind was, woman. yes. yeah. I don't was she in the practice also? I can't remember if that's the same person. I think she might have been.
2: That I don't remember. It's been twenty years since I've seen an. Yeah, episode, it's been a long time.
0: Um. Yeah, all right, so uh,
2: A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, quickly at 61, another movie that should have been much, much, much better. What do you think they messed up Well, hold on,
3: but I'm actually – I want to ask the opposite question. I'm surprised you have it this high because from everything – and I haven't seen it, but everybody's told me that it's a bait-and-switch because you think you're going to see a movie about Mr. Rogers and really you're going to see a movie about Matthew Reese's character – and so I'm surprised you even have it at 61.
0: Yeah. So this, I guess we're in like my section of my, you know, my 50 to 70 are movies that were like fine. Um, I, th- I thought that Mu- A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood was fine. I could, I would say there were parts of the movie I really liked and parts of the movie that I really disliked. Um, a third of the movie is about Tom Hanks playing Mr. Rogers and all of that was incredible and I would have loved to see an entire movie of that, and I wish that's what they gave us because that's what they told us they were giving us, or at least implied they were giving us. Um, unfortunately, two thirds of the movie is about the guy from The Americans and his father and his daddy issues as he's like writing this profile of Mister Rogers, and I couldn't care less. Um, and it just it didn't work at all for me. I didn't understand why that was a movie, and you know, you you have Tom Hanks, one of the best actors of our lifetimes, playing one of the most like endearing, you know consensus across the board pop culture icons of our lifetimes and you just like totally squander that by not even bothering to make the movie about that um you know all the things that we saw in last year's morgan Neville documentary i thought we were going to get to see like a dramatization of and background and development and see fred rogers yeah. in, a, in a this you know different universe and different situations and just like really get to get more in touch with that character that so that has touched so many people and instead he's just like a footnote in this movie
2: Yeah, I, I did. Oh, you know, for years or however long it was coming out. I think everyone thought it was the Tom Hanks as Mister Rogers movie. They didn't realize that was the a, like a side plot. It makes no sense. I agree. You had this home run. It would be like mega Marvel movie or like like you know you make a Batman movie and you have the best Batman, but he's in it for two minutes and it's like not even a superhero movie. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um. All right, that's it for the movies outside the top. Uh, Let's let's go all the way, actually, unless there's something you want to talk about in the 50s or 40s or 30s. I thought Loose was fine at 32. Uh, good Boys was cute at 28. Uh, the Joker at 26. Most people have like a very hot take, so you putting it at 26 means you think it was good but not great. Yeah, no, no, I'm calling thing.
3: an exact decision here. Av did a whole podcast on his 32 Movies feed about The Joker, so go back and find that if you want to listen to that. Let, let's skip to the movies that he really liked.
2: Okay. Can we do that, please? Okay, uh, fine. Uh Yes, my favorite movie go, of the year. Search, my number. Go search on
3: any podcast app for thirty-two fans movies or ask any of us we'll give you the link and, uh, just for 32 fans
0: they wait, come wait, up wait, ahead, what ahead of us when was your podcast on Joker? September I think CEO. of right? Um, it was a September October right when it came I out I remember
3: listening I was listening to it while I was building my sukkah so there, that's why I remember
0: listening. there you but go it. yeah I mean just quickly I think everyone just completely lost their minds with this movie people who think it's the best movie of the year or people who are like saying it's horrible and anyone who likes it is terrible it was a good movie I enjoyed it Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it he delivers an, an amazing performance of the per- personification of this character um, and you know just because it like it didn't have like so much to say and was like derivative in certain ways doesn't mean n- now that it sucks. Like it had good stuff in it, so like I don't really get why people like need to kill this movie. And and it's not the best movie of the year, so like calm down. The other way, um, just a quick trivia uh, on this. Um, so Joaquin Phoenix is on Sunday will win the Best Actor for portraying the Joker character, the same act- character that Heath Ledger won Best Supporting Actor for, and they will become the second pair of people to win Oscars for playing the same character. Do you guys know who the other one is?
3: Didn't we? Which was this discussed on one of your podcasts? Because I remember this already.
0: It could be. Well, let's see if you remember no, it, no, no, I don't. <laughs> so the answer is Don Vito Corleone, played by both okay. Robert De Niro and Marlon Brando. Yeah. Okay, cool.
3: All right, so let's. You said this movie's top heavy, so let's jump to the top. Uh, let's talk about the movies you loved. Uh, we'll start with one which, which I think Akiva and I have already discussed on this podcast a little yeah, bit. I already
2: segued to Seventeen. So my my, yeah. my my number one movie of the year is Uncut Gems. Uh, one of my favorite yeah. movies of the last decade. I, I loved it so much. Uh, I understand why it's not number one for you, but what were your problems with Uncut Gems? And then I'll explain to you and why And hold on. Wrong.
3: Before he tells you what his problems are, can I tell you, I was sitting next to a guy at my Super Bowl party, and this should tell you all you need to know. And he says to me, "We met, Uncut Gems gets mm-hmm. mentioned in, some, in passing, and he says, I didn't like it because it was anti-Semitic, and also there was way too much cursing. So,
0: <laughs> It was anti-Semitic?
3: What does that even mean? Well, you know the kind of person who's going to say that. Anti-Semitic made by like... I, I know, but uh, if somebody calls I an anti, I mean, it was you know it what was what made, made by two person. like you know who they vote for you like you know what I you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. All right, I yeah. still don't even see that though. But okay, I mean, it was because it, it was made by two like yeah, it's insane. In it, it was made by two. Way. What do you mean? I think he's great. <laughs> yeah, and the character
2: is a the character's freaking dog who wore a yarmulke at his wedding. He's Jewish, <laughs> and the, and the two brothers are are very proud Jews who who directed the movie. Like, there's no. There's no element of the movie that was not made by Akiva, has the state of Israel Um, ever done
3: anything that wasn't
2: 100% correct at any moment in its entire history? If you say yes, you're an (laughs) anti-Semite. So so I loved Uncut Gems. Uh, Do you have any gripes with Uncut Gems? But I think we have to cut them because it's blasphemy.
0: Yeah, I would say my main gripe, my main criticism was that the movie is so centrally focused on Howard, which for most of the movie makes is what is – gives the movie its strength is just like that raw, visceral focus on one character kind of just like going through New York without any regard for anyone around him Uh, but at the end I felt like that added up to completely neglecting the side characters that is fine for enough of the movie but then those characters start to make like important decisions that shape the way the movie goes and they just like didn't really make sense like I didn't understand why Julia Fox's character I know what you're saying but any second we're not spending with
2: Adam Sandler is a mistake
0: yeah, I mean cuz he's such gold. Yes. But I, I
2: totally understand what you're saying. So like but Do yeah. you want to know more about the wife? Did you want do you want a little bit more about I, the ex-wife cuz I'm sort I, of with you. I there. wanted more on the wife.
0: The I, wanted, Dina Menzel. I wanted more on Julia. I wanted more on LaKeith Stanfield. You want more on
2: Julia Fox? Yeah, you wanted more of Julia Fox.
0: Well, I wanted more of Julia um, Fox in a lot of ways, yeah, but like I hear you. she like when she comes back at the end to him and The brother the brother who these two guys I, I i didn't yeah i mean and i don't know i don't think we're getting into spoilers but i think the the mechanics of exactly what happens in the last scene are also just like not very clear like what 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 happens why did they decide to do that what is their plan now um and like a lot no, of that I think it's clear i don't want to spoil it yeah but so yeah, I, I I'm, I'm you clear. know I'm, I'm trying to be vague on purpose but so like i think that th- this movie just sure. could have used like one fewer scene of him like being a schmuck making stupid bets and just colored in a lot of those characters a little bit more Uh, interesting.
2: All right, fine. Uh, you know, listen, 17 is not an insult. Um, Booksmart, you know, I, it's one of these movies Wait, where Booksmart why, had are come out in gonna, December. It would probably we, be nominated for Best Picture. Right? Are we going
0: to hear about why you loved it? What? Uncut Gems. Oh,
2: I mean, I've talked about Uncut Gems. I, I just thought, ev- I thought every second of the movie, I was on my seat. Like... Movies often don't make you care, even if they're well made, as much as like, uh, you know, the best season of the of Lost or Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad. But here is like, oh, I've only been with this character for an hour and change, but I, you're sweating during the basketball game. You're so nervous,
3: but also during
2: it's, that game, it's New
3: York, it's gambling, it's Jews, it's it's got Mike Francesca. It was made for Akiva.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, no, I, I, I it was made for me. It I, was made for me. I, I obviously, my main
2: gripe is not enough Mike Francesca to get him an Oscar nod. Yeah. Mike, Francesca at the Osc- Mike Francesca at the Oscars would have been the true highlight of my whole life. Like if he had gotten a few more scenes and gotten one of those – they used to give them to like some old lady for playing Queen Elizabeth who was in you know one of those British movies for like seven and a half minutes. If Francesca had gotten that, I think we could all die happy. It would have been incredible.
3: But like yeah. Akiva, I, anyway. or uh, I think it's fair to say that yeah. if a movie, when you feel like a movie was made, like directed at you, you're going to like it more. Like A Serious Man, for example, was made about sure. like, basically my dad. It was about growing up as, you know, a conservative Jew in St. Louis Park, Minnesota in the 1960s. Yeah. And, and one of the kids in the synagogue scene is actually mm-hmm. a kid I know. So, you know, obviously I was going to like that movie more. It was still a good movie, but because I feel like, you know, sure. I feel connected to it personally. Yeah. And the, so, only,
0: it, the only movie Akiva would like more would be a movie about color war at Camp Moro Yeah, basically. <laughs>
2: uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's true. By
0: the um, way, I I just googled the serious man
3: yeah, don't and get I never even Rosen noticed Garden this. Started. But the main Michael Starbuck's character, the main character, his name is Larry Gopnik, which is my wife's last name, uh but with a p in there. Your, so your wife's name funnier. Your wife's name is yeah. Larry
0: Gopnik. Anyway. Well, her maiden name is exactly. Larry Larry Gopnik. us yeah. start calling her Dr. Yeah. Larry.
2: <laughs> her maiden name is Larry Gonick. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, we do call her. That's a good name for her. Um, she won't know who we're talking about if we mention that in the uh, WhatsApps that Chester probably lets her look, look at. Um, so Booksmart at 15. I think if that movie comes out in December, uh, maybe it's, you know, bandy back and forth. There's some controversy about, you know, its level of quality. But I think that probably gets uh, an Oscar nod over a Ford versus Ferrari type. What do you think about that?
0: Um, it's possible. I mean, these sorts of comedies vary frequently get overlooked anyway, even if it had come out later in the year. Um, But it was a movie that I just found absolutely delightful. The two leads, Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever, are both great. They have this amazing chemistry, just like one of the best friendships I've seen portrayed in a movie in a long time. Um, And then there's that, I mean, there's that big fight scene in the middle where they get into an argument that was like kind of cliche, but I thought it was really cinematically done, the way like it turns off all the other sound in the room and just focuses on them. Um, It was just, I thought a really good portrayal of friendship of just like two people who are looking past at their you know the life that is just ending and on to the next life of going it was to super college bad
3: for girls is that a fair way to say
0: Uh, yeah I mean that's basically how it was it was marketed and it's yeah. you know it's a very similar type movie um, yeah. and I thought there's it was... some
3: absurdities about the plot like they go to a high school where no one's allowed to say what college are going to and also yeah. by the way every single person in that high school including the dropouts and the losers and the drug addicts are all going right. to Ivy League schools but it, exactly yeah
0: <laughs> it's, it, there was there was some silly stuff in there um, yeah. I thought it was also interesting that like there's no real antagonist like the everything just kind of flows from their own relationship and like the ups and downs to that which was you know well done like they didn't a lot of too many movies ford v ferrari is a good example of a movie that just has to like create a fake antagonist to add drama where there is none and this movie didn't rely on that and that's to its credit all
3: right now let's jump to um, okay topic, uh, which p- is
0: adolf
2: d- d- hitler d- d- Oy <laughs> Yeah, no. You could uh, Chester. You could ask him. You know the rest of the numbers. You could you could uh, make yourself useful and ask. him. I know the rest of the numbers. Guy who asked about the movies. So you think I can't count higher than thirteen? Is that your application? (laughs) All right, number thirteen. No, but I'm saying now, like you know what? Yeah, there's nothing. Now we're going to talk about every movie, basically. So yeah. Well, okay. So number thirteen is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Give us your take on Jojo Rabbit.
0: Yeah, so Jojo Rabbit was directed by Taika Waititi, uh, who many people might know from Thor: Ragnarok, and He's,
3: he's. Top ten probably for me, half Jews, half Maoris, maybe even top five.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, he also directed a, a vampire movie called What We Do in the Shadows a couple of years ago. He has this like this very absurdist comic tendency in his movies, and I think Jojo Rabbit is probably the highest example of that. He plays an imaginary version of Adolf Hitler who is kind of like either haunting or, you know, in the dreams of a young boy named Jojo, played brilliantly by a young child actor I never heard of before, named Roman Griffin Davis. And the kid is, it takes place during World War II and he's in like this like Hitler Youth Camp type thing. And at the same time, his mother, played by Scarlett Johansson, is hiding a Jewish girl in his attic and Frank style. And hilarity ensues, absurdity ensues, tragedy ensues. Um, It's just like, to me struck the perfect tone between showing like the horrors of Nazi Germany in this like ridiculous absurd way um, which I think is like kind of ticked off a bunch of people but I think they just like didn't really understand what was happening and I guess that's fine that's fair yeah the,
3: the kind of person who thinks Uncut Jam is anti-semitic I'm sure does not like this movie
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it it treats the Holocaust at times as like this silly thing and I you know kind of the point is that it is this silly thing because it's like the type of thing that a kid would come up with to like oh we're just gonna like murder all the Jewish people in Europe um, because of like some crazy ideology that somebody made up um, and there's just like this really it's like he develops this really touching relationship with thomas and mckenzie who plays the young girl and i just found it to be really powerful you know it's a very it's like a vital movie for the time period we're living in i think and it's something that i really recommend everyone should see even if like the topic and the subject matter seems like it might not be up your alley it's i I think it's really a rewarding experience wasn't the holocaust enough uh apparently not because they're still making movies about it (laughs) the holocaust sells yeah i saw a sign at a mets game
3: once all right let's jump into the top 10 Number 10, a, uh, a little mm-hmm. movie by an unknown director called The Irishman. Tell us, uh, what what is The Irishman?
0: The Irishman. So me and you did a podcast. It, it wasn't long enough. It was, it was not long enough. That's my hot yeah. take. It should have been yeah. twice as long. Um, the Irishman is Marty Scorsese's 24th feature film, um, a crime epic that shows the rise and fall of Frank Sheeran, a mobster played by... Robert De Niro, he's an assassin for the mob during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Uh, Scorsese brings back the whole gang Pesci, Pacino, Harvey Keitel. Well, I guess Pacino was never part of the gang, but he's kind of in that world of other mob movies. And it's a, it comes off as a reflection by the characters in this movie, especially Robert De Niro's character, of a lifetime spent in the mob, you know, in a life of crime. But it also has this like, extra meta level of Scorsese and all these people who have spent their life making mob movies about reflecting on what that entails and like the life that they've led making those sorts of movies. And it's, very methodical compared to some of his other movies like it doesn't have the glamorization of the mob the way that Wolf of Wall Street does maybe not the mob but of crime or Goodfellas where like on the way up it's like exciting and it's sexy and it's a lot of fun Uh, there's like a scene in the middle of the movie where he's like preparing to go assassinate somebody in a restaurant and it just shows him like very matter-of-factly like packing his bags and putting the right weapons in, and he just kind of, like, walks into the restaurant, looks around, shoots the guy, and then leaves, and, like, the scene is over. And to me, like, that's really, like, what this whole movie is. It's just, like, showing it kind of as it is. Um, in fact, that's, like, probably the most famous line the movie is when uh tells him it's what it is. Um, and I, th- I thought it was really, really good. Um, I know that people are killing it for being too long. I, I don't really... It didn't really bother me the length. I mean, I often watch Things that are as long as this, they just call them TV shows instead of movies, and nobody seems to have a problem with watching a six-hour Netflix show, broken up over two nights, and where they're watching three hours straight. But yeah, I the, guess we, the length is a, is a fake complaint, I think. Yeah, I mean, I thought the the length was fine. I mean, it was it was long. I agree, but I was never bored when I was watching this movie. I was engaged the whole time. I was the well, length on its own is a fake complaint.
2: Right, like it, movies are allowed to be that long. Yeah. It's just what they did with it. Well, uh, so
3: was mad because it doesn't hew to the true story, but it's it, but it's Frank's version of the
2: story. It's not. Yeah, saying no, this I, is what I, actually is happened. Is that why I was mad? Yeah, maybe Akiva were mad. Maybe Akiva Kalis was mad. That's not the only reason I was mad. Okay, okay let, so why else were you mad? mad. Okay, okay, so mad? mad. Okay, okay, Let's so let, let, No, I just thought it should have ended. I we didn't have to see him in old age. Yeah. Well, you know, no, I thought we. I mean, all those things are issues. To to me, seeing him at old age, this is an entertaining movie. This should not even be an Oscar movie. Yeah.
3: Can I talk about my sort of personal connection in, in the slightest way to this movie? Yeah, were you a mobster? No, uh, n- not not that we need to discuss on the podcast. But oh, okay. um, when I, when I when I went to law school, my first semester, I joined a reading group with a uh, with a professor named Jack Goldsmith. So for those who don't know, who Jack Goldsmith was Jack Goldsmith had been the head of the Office of Legal Counsel during the George Bush administration. And there was a very famous sort of dramatic moment where uh, the then attorney general, John Ashcroft, was in the hospital. He I think he was like in a coma or something. And there was a memo that that the Office of Legal Counsel was was trying to produce to justify torture that that America that Americans have been participating in an Abu Ghraib. And, and there was a whole fight about who John Yu was supporting and Jack Goldsmith was against it. And so Jack Goldsmith was sort of this uh, like a, a well-known conservative legal scholar, but was also sort of a hero for the fact that he stood up to the Bush administration. He ends up leaving. He ends up going to Harvard Law School and he ends up writing a book about that experience. And uh, my first the first thing I did in law school was I read that book. And then I would, you know, sit with him once a week and a, and a few other students. And we discussed it and we go over to his house. And Jack Goldsmith just gives off this impression of like sort of a very sort of Traditional Southern conservative, well, you like you think that he grew up like on a plantation or something, like his accent and his attitude and everything, and that's really who you think he is. And and then the shocking thing that I discovered, and he just came out with a new book called In Hoffa's Shadow, which is the sort of the true story, the actual story of of Jimmy Hoffa and also of of, of Frank. Basically, the reason that this became so famous right now is because of the movie The Irishman has just come out. So Hoffa has this character um in in the movie who who is played by um what's his name what's that redhead actor again i
0: don't Hello? remember i don't remember who's which guy we uh oh, carrot top no. actor.
2: what's his name the guy who plays chucky carrot top no you guys are being annoying the chucky the doll let's not talk about that guy I don't know. I don't know the guy's name. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons. Everybody knows Jesse Plemons. I, yeah, I forgot. Oh, about. yeah, yeah. He okay, doesn't fine. really. It's like blondish hairs. No, he's got like strawberry. No, hair. He's, he's a redhead. A Anyways, redhead.
3: the point is, so Jesse Plemons plays this character named Landry? O- I
2: don't know.
3: Plays his character in The Irishman named Chucky O'Brien, who is um, Hoffa's almost like adopted son, basically. And he's the one in the movie, and according to popular opinion and according to the FBI for many decades, who picks up Hoffa and drops him off on the day that he's killed. So what's crazy is that Jack Goldsmith is actually the stepson in real life of the real life Chucky O'Brien. Jack Goldsmith, who, again, I thought of as being brought up as this like genteel, highly educated, sort of elitist kind of guy, actually grew up sort of like very sort of poor and almost like stereotypically what someone would call as white trash and his family moved around a lot and he is from a broken home. And at some point... Uh, Chucky O'Brien, when Jack Goldsmith is like 10 years old, marries Jack Goldsmith's mom and becomes his stepdad. And Jack Goldsmith's name was actually Jack O'Brien for like his entire teenage years going into college. And then, and so he grew up hearing the story of how his stepdad had been sort of set up by the government and blamed falsely for something that he didn't do. And then Jack Goldsmith gets to college and decides he wants to become a lawyer and wants to become a government lawyer. And so he separates himself. He distances himself from his, his stepdad, who's, you know, connected to the mob allegedly or actually was. But um and he and he separates himself and he goes and lives this life. And, you know, he goes high up in, in you know, in academia and in the, in the Bush administration. And then he actually discovers In real life, once he joins the Bush administration, that a lot of the things that his uneducated mobster uh, stepdad had been telling him 40, 50 years ago is actually true about the government not always being honest and about covering things up and about blaming people and breaking the same laws that they accuse others of breaking, et cetera, et cetera. And so so Goldsmith has just written this book called In Hoffa's Shadow, which is his true investigation into what happened with Chucky O'Brien. And it's really, you should watch it, you should read it in tandem with watching The Irishman because it's just this incredible story. Even if you don't know Goldsmith and it's sort of a shock to see a guy who's from, who came from the other side of the tracks and where he is today. It's an incredible story of what actually happened with Jimmy Hoffa and with Chucky O'Brien and and sort of how the government, you know, in, in their fight against against organized crime which is a, a justifiable fight obviously how they often sort of broke the rules and, and frankly how the government often uh breaks and bends its own rules uh, in pursuit of others who who allegedly do the same so like Richard anyways, Jewell. yeah well yeah but i so i thought it's an amazing i thought having read the book it then made me appreciate the movie more but it also i understood akiva's annoyance because you know, the movie is not accurate it's frank's version but you know it does you know defame a lot of people such as chucky e. o'brien who loved jimmy hoffa with all his heart and soul and most people who watch this movie will think oh yeah who's chucky oh yeah he's the guy who drove
0: jimmy hoffa to his death so yeah and the movie is very her. deliberately framed as being Kieran's version i mean the, the yeah. story starts with him telling the story it ends with him yeah. telling the story you know obviously that doesn't mean that every time every second that you're watching the movie you're aware of that fact and you know you know, there's, there's, re- it's reasonable to criticize a movie for play, playing fast and loose with the facts, but it's shown to be his version of events, and that's what the movie is. Yeah. All right. So number nine, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Did either of you see this movie? Probably not.
2: It's on my to do list. Yeah. No, I was on my list. I know it's eight twenty four, but I didn't get to it.
0: Yeah. I didn't get to a lot of movies and shows this year. Yeah. So obviously, this is one of my favorites. Um, it's a movie that. Doesn't have like a cohesive narrative, like all the all this every step along the way. It's really more experiential in ways, and it's not a movie that I would necessarily recommend to everyone because it's not for everyone. But I was absolutely blown away by it. Um, it's the you know the to the extent there's a plot, it's about this guy named Jimmy who lives in San Francisco, and he is taking care of a house that his grandfather built, that his family used to live in, that he is no longer owned by the family. It was bought by like a rich white couple. um, As many of these types of houses in cities like San Francisco have been due, due to globalization and gentrification and other social and cultural forces. And despite the fact that he doesn't, live there anymore. Like the movie starts out basically with these other couple comes home and they find him like painting the shutters on the front porch and they're like, what the hell are you doing here? And he's like watering the plants in the backyard. And he has this notion of home that's very different than like where your literal house is. Um it's and it becomes like this parable for a home that you no longer feel at home in, whether it's the house itself or the city. Um and it's just this like very powerful moving movie. Um just like shot gorgeously with an incredible score, some of the best musical moments of the year. And it's a movie that like I think about all the time. It And again, it's not a movie that I think everybody will love. So, you know, maybe turn it on. And if after 30, 40 minutes, it's not doing it for you. It's probably not going to be your thing. But and there are definitely parts of this movie that didn't work for me. But the parts that did were like my favorite scenes of the year.
3: All right, so it's yeah. I have five movies on my to-do list still, and this is one of them. Uh, The other four are also higher up on this list, uh, so we'll get to them as well. Let's uh, actually another one on the list is number eight, Knives
2: Out. Akiva, did you see Knives Out?
0: No, it's next on my list. I'm in the middle of 1970, yeah. oh, okay. and Knives Out was next, but so this, this podcast snuck up on so us. So this is the flip side of The Last Black Man in San Francisco. This is the movie that anyone randomly who's asked me, like, oh, you know about movies. Should I go see a movie? What movie should I see? I tell, I tell them, go see Knives Out. It's the movie that, like, I would be shocked if anybody I know who saw it came back to me and told me they didn't like it. It's just so much fun. It's a self-contained murder mystery. You don't need to know anything going in. You'll just like have a ton of fun it's interesting it take it has good twists it's funny, great characters, great cast and you'll just have a blast with it like I would be I would literally be shocked if somebody I told this to came back to me and told me I hated that movie what did you send me to <laughs> all right number seven marriage story not as fun no not as fun not as fun <laughs> Marriage is not as fun as murder mysteries <laughs>
3: So uh, you would rather uh, commit murder uh, or have a family member commit murder than uh, get married, basically, is what you're saying.
0: I'd rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. Yes,
3: exactly. Uh, right. So marriage uh, story. Kiva, have you seen any of these movies? Do you have any takes here?
0: Criticizing me.
2: I've seen most of them. I've seen most of them. Okay, so give us I'm some I'm not takes. criticizing you at
0: all. Give us some takes, Akiva.
2: Well, I was going to give my top ten after, I've, after I have done. I was going to give my top ten. I usually do it. Uh, uh Marriage Story See, we've talked about Marriage Story I think. I've talked about it on a podcast. Marriage Story is a play that's set out as a movie. Um there's nothing about it that needs to be a movie. This this would have been a great stage Broadway play. I think uh Adam Driver's great. Uh the uh wh- who did we talk Oh yeah. Um I forget what podcast I mentioned this. Laura Dern is terrible in this movie i have no idea why she's a lock to win the oscar she's such an overactor. i think simmons said this also i i totally agree with it's that it's totally overacting any any actress in hollywood could have done this it's yeah, absurd so, i have so, no idea and i like Lori Dern. she's great yeah so i think the answer did is her Laura... and baron davis break up i think she's winning the oscar I know she, was for... dating baron davis she didn't was like thank him
3: at her um at her golden globe speech so i
0: i would guess yes yeah, no, I, I think they. Might, I don't think it was like a long-term relationship. I, but oh, I it was a, it, a random couple. He's so much younger. Yeah, so yeah. I think she's. I think she's winning the Oscar for playing Renata on Big Little Lies. Is I think the answer. Okay, I think people just love Laura Dern, and she's in this um, big yeah. movie. Um, yeah, I agree. She totally overacts. If she's like. Very jarring in this movie, where all the other acting is like so subtle, and like the characters are—you so have you know, like so much empathy for them. And I and I get that that's kind of the point—the way that like the legal industrial complex and divorces just like ruins everything, and like people who are like inclined to like try to make it work and work together yeah. for the be- you know for everyone's benefit. Then like they go to see a lawyer, and the lawyer wants them to you know murder their ex-husband or ex-wife. Um, but I just thought she was just really out of place in this movie, really overacted. I mean, you know, I'm happy for Laura Dern the person that she's totally the Oscar, but I. I didn't see this I didn't see it yeah. in this movie at all um, similarly Renee Zellweger for Judy Which by the way George
2: like, W. Bush yes I a, haven't you know, seen it but yeah, people are saying sucks
0: yeah it's it's not a good movie she's like completely forgettable in it you know just somehow this narrative started that she's gonna win the Oscar and then everyone went along with it and I just like I'm a totally at a loss in that one uh, but Mara's story I thought was really you know I thought the two actors in this movie were probably the best you know combo performance of the year Just the two of them working off each other. Can I drop a take? Sure. It's your podcast. Um, So you remember they used to
2: say about George W. Bush, Chester's favorite president... you know, he's the, he's the guy you'd want to have a beer with. Like, yeah, he's not the smartest guy, but he's, like, the ultimate. You want to have a beer at the bar with him, which is weird. Like, I don't – not would not want to have a beer with – now I maybe don't, but, like, the a, a hypothetical George W. Bush. But, like, I don't know. He's, is he so fun? Maybe he's got good stories. His dad was the president. Anyway, uh, the opposite of that is Adam Driver, the last person on earth I'd want to watch a sports Although, game to or, be fair, or, or, I thought he was a, pretty good on SNL. Yeah. No, he's a good actor, and, like, he can be funny. Yeah. But I, I think he is uh, like a brooding, not By the way, can we make a list of those really guys?
3: I think Edward Norton's on that list. Daniel Day-Lewis is on not that list. Not a bro.
2: List.
0: Who else do you have on that oh,
2: list? Oh, yeah. I mean, D- Daniel Day-Lewis would tell like one story about like a, a, a shoelace. He wants
0: Daniel Day-Lewis yeah. would um, spend two would years be... getting into character for having a beer with you, and then you would yeah. just blow him off? <laughs>
3: no, I would yeah. do it,
0: but uh, I don't think yeah, it would be, be the funnest experience. Fair. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh,
2: so this is a good list. Yeah, listeners could put this on, like, uh, Facebook or in the Patreon group or something. Like, yeah. th- who, which which celebrities would you absolutely... I mean, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> um, but that's just somebody no, you No, like, hate. there's people, category. and that's Spacey, you know, I have... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, I wouldn't want to have a beer with uh, listeners either, who would but I don't think that's the purpose be miserable to have list. a beer with.
3: You're not implying anything bad about Adam Driver.
2: No, okay, fine. Yeah. I, I thought, No, like... no, I'm sure he's a wonderful man.
0: Yeah. I'd be happy if, you know... Yeah, I, I, but yeah, he doesn't he seem he sister. doesn't seem like no, the most flexible really. guy. Yeah, he I think he he very famously does not walk anything that he's ever been in. Like, Yeah,
3: he think, walked out on Terry Gross cuz she played a clip.
0: Yeah, there was like a story He walked out on Terry Gross. There was like yeah. a story on like one of the like finale parties, he like met Shoshana or one of the other characters and it was like didn't know who she was cuz he had never been in a scene with her. <laughs> All right, he didn't know.
2: Oh, maybe in like the first season. I'm sure they were in scenes. Better.
0: Yeah, like it was like in the, the first season or second season. Like he didn't like he had never been in a scene with one of the characters and like introduced himself. They're like, like of course I know who you are. You're like one of the main people in the show. And he's like, oh sorry, I never met you.
2: The star of the show. Yeah. All right, now let's. Yeah, he um, sounds like a cool guy. Uh, Av uh, n- number
3: six yeah. on your list is us. Now I'm a person. I have no interest in horror as a genre. But Get Out was my not only my favorite movie of that year, but one of my favorite movies of the decade. So sell me on why I should see us, um, even if I usually, if I liked Get Out, but if I if I have no interest in horror, generally speaking.
0: So the reason why you should see us, even if you don't love horror in general, and it's not because it's not a real horror movie. It's definitely more of a horror movie than Get Out is. Get Out is more of like a social horror. It's different. This is like a, at least the first like hour of it is like a straight horror movie. But the reason you should see it is because Jordan Peele is already and is going to be one of the defining filmmakers of our lifetime. He is a guy who has a vision that puts that vision into every frame of his movie And is just that is a rare thing to see in this day and age, somebody who has this much command of his filmmaking power. And it's a guy who, like, you don't you shouldn't miss any of his movies. He's, you know, in 10, 20 years from now, he's going to be an all time great director. And you don't want to think oh, well, I never saw Us because I thought it was going to be too scary. I'm not a horror fan. So you should go see it. It's it's uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's a movie that I enjoyed the first time I saw it. Um, I found like the horror part of it to be you know gripping scary creepy you know the score is amazing it really draws you into the movie uh, the movie then veers into more social commentary which kind of was a little bit muddled for me at first but like the more I thought about it the more I read about it talked about it it started to crystallize for me and then when I saw it a second time I thought it was like a, an absolute masterpiece and loved it um, so I guess to, there's an extent to which that could be like a slight criticism of the movie that like you kind of need it needs to digest a little bit before it completely works for you um the horror mechanics of it also like there are flaws there because like he really focuses more on like abstract themes than like tying together all the loose knots of like how the horror elements work but you know, as like a social commentary, it's like one of the best movies of the year. I mean, the the movie opens with a father and daughter at a carnival, and he says to her, okay, we can get a prize from the second level, or we can try to go further and get one from the third. And it's like, that's the whole movie right there in the first sentence of the movie, which you would never know the first time you see it. But then when you watch it again, you're like, oh my god, that's so smart. And also, Lupita Nyong'o, who was not nominated, in my opinion, gives the best acting performance by a man or a woman this year, bar none, not even close. And she should be the best actress winner. She wasn't even nominated. Instead, they're going to give it to Renee Zellweger. I I don't. I still don't understand why she's not getting the attention other than the obvious reasons.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Uh, number
3: five. Let's get to
0: number five. Avengers Endgame.
3: Akiva's favorite movie of the year.
0: Yeah. Avengers Endgame, another one that I talked about at length on 32 Fans Movies, just very yeah. quickly. It is a movie that was the the movie that I anticipated the most in my lifetime was like looking forward to for like literally a year from the second Avengers Infinity War ended and to say that it lived up to the hype is like underselling it. It's like I've never had more fun, more joy as I was in a movie theater. This movie was three hours long and every second of it was incredible. Obviously the fact that I've seen all the previous movies and like love the franchise and is like was all in on all of that is a big part of that. And like you can't just like walk into this movie and see it see it uh you know clean. But it's just extremely well made and given how some of the other, you know, beloved franchises this year ended, like Game of Thrones and Star Wars, it's like it shows that like what they pulled off here is extremely difficult, and they just did it like on an absolute A plus level. Um, it's just like tied together so many loose threads from over the years from different movies, and just kind of like all culminated in this incredible movie, incredible send off to the characters who are no longer going to be part of the franchise. And it's just like really exciting to see where this the MCU is going to go next after here. All right, Akiva has uh, disappeared again for an extended period of time.
3: Uh, let's get to number four on your list. Number I haven't four, disappeared. I haven't seen that movie. I've never I've never watched yeah. one of those. Number four is a movie that, based on your description and others' descriptions of it, is the number one movie on my list of movies I still want to see, along with Knives Out in 1917. Uh, tell us why, Akiva, did you see Transit?
2: Uh, no, yeah, uh, I okay. decided uh, not to. This great, is a great, great job,
0: great this job is a great, the podcast. This, this is a great podcast. <laughs> yeah, all right, uh, tell us why Transit is so great. <laughs> transit is was directed by a german filmmaker named christian i Pepo. thought i had a month to see some of these movies you dopes yeah i hear i hear oh. yeah next year we'll look at the calendar yeah. <laughs> i guess we're the dopes for not knowing i'm gonna buy i'm gonna to. buy kiva a 2021 calendar me. <laughs> uh,
2: aisha the on Busman sent me a calendar but they should have the oscars on they should have the super bowl and the oscars on every standard calendar and it's not there <laughs>
0: Yeah, the the Oscars is earlier than usual. They moved it up for some reason. I don't know why. Thank God, because if there was more of this, like, you know, debating the horse race when everyone knows who's going to win every single award, it would be even more tiresome. Um, Anyway, so Transit was directed by Christian Petzold. He's a German filmmaker who's directed several World War II movies over the last few years. And it is a story about a main character named George who is stuck in transit between Locations trying to escape this like mass refugee crisis. And the movie is framed as taking place during World War II, except it very quickly becomes clear that it's taking place at some other time because you see there's like modern cars in the streets and like other technology and things that make it clear that you're not in the 1940s. And he kind of just pulls off this incredible magic trick that. A dislocates the story from time, but in a way that makes it timeless because it kind of puts you in the shoes of both, like refugees of, from post World War Two and the refugees of today, and like kind of connecting those two stories to each other. And it's just like done in this like very beautiful, magical way that is just, like I would say probably the most like essential movie of 2019 of like it's just a story about now and today more so than any movie that I've seen this year. Akiva okay, did that sell you yeah
2: I want to see it again I I thought I had a month I had like 10 more movies to see and I would have been I would have crushed it. I saw a lot of movies this year and I just didn't get to uh didn't get to the last few and now now I'm sad all right we got three more left yeah um so number three 1917 uh I'm literally in the middle of it how'd, so no spoilers how do
0: you like the first half how do you like the first one? Oh half? no, I'm like 12 minutes. <laughs> oh, you're 12 minutes in. Okay. So you know there's a war. I'm 12 minutes in, but I like this. Yeah. So I'm not a big war movie Yeah, there's definitely yeah. I mean, it's about
2: the year 1917.
0: Yeah. I'm so I'm not like a huge mm. war movie person. Like I don't generally love those types of movies. Um so this was my favorite war movie that I've ever seen. Um so maybe that's not saying a lot because I don't like love all of those other ones, but I just found this to be extremely moving, just like comp- very visceral because, you know, for those who aren't aware of what the movie is, it's famously shot uh, to look like it's one single continuous shot from beginning to end. Um, So that really just like puts you together with the two soldiers that are the main characters in this movie. Um, There's a lot of scenes where you're just kind of like following them, like they'll be like walking one in front of the other. And just the way the... The movie is shot. It feels like you're the third person along with them, just like following them on this mission, which is they need to deliver a message to another battalion. And it's this very small mission. It's like almost inconsequential in like the scope of this humongous war. And to me, that just like added so much more of the power to it of just showing... The horror of war the futility of war you know it's really just like a lot of showing you don't have like people making these big grandiose speeches about how war is horrible and like talking about life back home and how they want to get back but you still feel all of that just by experiencing it along with them Um, it's just like cinematically the most impressive movie I saw this year the sound the picture everything you just become completely immersed in this mission and this war and just like feel like you're there with them and you just like come away thinking like this is like all so stupid that like we can Continually Do this that people are just like young children are basically sent to their deaths in often for no reason in like pursuit of these like things that we convince ourselves in the urgency of them in the moment that when you reflect on them a 100 years later, it's like, how many people even know what World War One is about? Most people don't. Yeah.
3: I think I think World War One's most people's perception of World War One is just colored by World War Two. So most yeah. people just in America we assume yeah World War One that was the first time we fought the Nazis the bad guys like the Germans were not we, the bad is this guys. Is like in, a
2: ringer conversation? Are we sleeping on World War
3: One? No, but just it's actually like if you actually like w- there were no good guys and bad guys in World War One. Like the Germans were not the bad guys and and the British were not the good guys. It just happens to be that because those it was the same generally the same countries and, and allies in the next war 30 years later where there were clear good guys and bad guys, we retroactively sort of glom those on. But World War One was just sort of the, the the last gasps of European imperialism, basically.
0: Yeah, in retrospect, we everyone else should have been suspicious when the Germans kept referring to it as World War One.
3: <laughs> yes. That's true. Uh, did you guys ever read Encyclopedia Brown as kids? Yeah, I read a bunch of those. So do you remember there was one about the yeah, sword sure, of, of the first battle of, of um, Bullhorn or something?
0: I can't say that I do.
3: So... So there's some guy who's selling an original sword that belonged to the Confederate officer from the first battle of the Bighorn or something like that. And the way Encyclopedia Brown discovers that it's not true is, is first of all, in the Confederacy, they didn't call it the Battle of Bighorn, the Bullhorn. They called it something else. But second of all, it, they wouldn't have called it the first during the first. Ah, so, very
0: smart. Yeah. If that if that type of storyline interests you, I would recommend a, a movie from this year that I thought was like, okay, but not great with Mark Marin called Sword of Trust. It's also about like a, a Confederate memorabilia um there's parts of it that are very good and oh. funny and quirky oh
2: uh how about a celebrity a celebrity who you would never sorry a celebrity who would never want to go to have a beer with mark <laughs> No, i disagree yeah i sucks think he, yeah,
3: I, I, I listen like, to his podcast for two hours a week he
2: because sucks. I would. he's I such disagree. a baby
0: yeah i like mark marron
2: no yeah. yeah but you wouldn't want he sucks he's i mean right. i used to like his podcast he he just totally sucks yeah don't agree all right okay the top two movies of the year for av i think finally are two movies that all three of us have seen so that's hooray! Good. all right so
0: everyone should start listening now
2: yeah, yeah. they're my three and two all right. They're okay. my three and two. No, this was a great podcast. Uncut Jims was my one, but that's not reasonable. Right. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was definitely the best movie of the years, but it's my two and Parasite where you're about to talk about as number three for All
3: me. All right, so Parasite, number two on the list. Um, can can we do a spoiler? Can I jump straight to my issue with this movie at the end in terms of the narrative? Yeah, it's just, make, movie. just, just make sure to put about. it in yeah, the show notes because I yeah, remember so last year people Shut up the
2: podcast if you're
3: Okay. There's a spoiler. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Uh, Fast forward three minutes if you don't want to hear a spoiler about Parasite. All right. Um, My issue is that, like, so the whole idea of why no one can find him is because nobody knows about, like, the underground bunker, right?
0: The people that own the house don't know about it, supposedly. No, but nobody knows. Like, nobody can find him anywhere. Yeah, okay, right. After he commits the father, he commits
3: the murder. He goes down there. By the way, he's covered in blood. So there would have been blood trailing all the way down there. But my issue is the people who bought the house, they might not have known about the secret bunker. That's fine. That's totally understandable. However,. There would be records, the public, the police, when they're investigating, they would know about it because when the person built the house, he would have had to, like, for regulatory reasons and for approval reasons and for permit reasons, he would have had to get get permission to build this, especially because he was building so far down and you don't want to go into electrical wires or who knows what else. So, like, there would be somebody when they're looking for the body and when they're looking for the assailant and, like, where did he go? They would be able to acquire a blueprint of the house. It would be in public records somewhere, and it would they would be able to find him. So the fact that he could just hide forever is is impossible to believe.
0: Maybe. Well, so two two points. Number one, uh, I think to a large extent we're supposed to assume that like the last five ten mi- minutes of the movie after the murder are fantastical, possibly all in the boy's head. Um, okay. Number two, so, so you wait, could so did argue you catch
3: the father. So you're saying that the whole end of the movie didn't actually
0: happen. I think starting from where. The boy starts telling the story about how he's gonna like build a company and make money and yeah. go back I, you know I think all of that is like a story that he's telling us um, that is not necessarily supposed it's possible to be also
3: true. It, for his father to to buy Morse code send out not just like one word or one sentence the way people normally do Morse code but an entire like multi-page like detailed nuanced letter describing like his life the fact that he's just doing that in perpetuity on a loop in case his son ever happens to come and look at the light is obviously quite fantastical and the fact yes. that a family living there would have notice the light blinking is also a little bit yeah so i think so the
0: whole the whole that's that funny. whole that whole last scene of the movie is supposed to be like okay now look i'll try to do it the right way like you know yeah. by like going to school and build you know building a career and getting money yeah. and eventually we'll be able to be reunited and like we're supposed to end the thing but of course like in real life like that can't happen because of yeah. the social structures that the entire movie is about um, okay so spoiler over So go back Tell people who haven't seen this movie Why they should Yeah so this is my You know it's number two on my list um, As many people know Everyone who's listening to this Who's vaguely aware with me Knows what number one is going to be um, But I think that Cats Yeah First and I, last I, Yeah I, <laughs> that, now, that would be a twist Yeah um, <laughs> I think that, like, in an objective way, to the extent that, you know, tastes in movies can ever be objective, like, I think Parasite is the best movie of this year, the best movie made this year. Um, it's just, like, so astonishing in what it pulls off um, to just, like do so many different things like be like three or four different genres at a time it's like a comedy at times it's a thriller it's just like this heist movie at, at times and it turns into a th- uh, a horror movie towards the end it's just like astonishing how like seamlessly it just weaves in between genre um it's extremely funny it tells the story of this poor family in South Korea and they slowly intertwine their, their lives into that of a rich family in in South Korea uh, by scheming their way in. And it's like it's very much like a story of the haves and the have nots. But I think what the most the most brilliant thing it does about this is that it doesn't turn the rich people into bad guys like they're not evil they don't do anything really wrong to anyone they're just oblivious just like living in their own world not realizing that there are other people out there who are suffering who don't have because they do have and the by contrast the poor people in this movie like do a lot of bad things and you know obviously it's out of economic circumstance and they need to do it to survive in order to feed themselves and to, you know, pull themselves up by the bootstraps. But, you know, I think what Bang Chun Ho is like trying to drive into us is that, you know, if you set up a society in a certain way where the rules are that everybody should try to grab as much as they can, like what happens in this movie and specifically what happens at the end of this movie is inevitable. That like that's where this is going to go. Um, unless you design a fairer system. And it might be that this is a system that works for a certain period of time, but eventually it's not going to. And Kiev,
2: um, you have this movie number yeah. three. You said, "Yeah, I had Parasite three. I do think it's great. Um, the ending is tremendous. Uh, and the whole thing is really is, is really so well made. I love the house. That's my main takeaway. Okay. What a cool house! They By the play. way,
3: I do have one other issue with the movie. Um, so, re spoiler alert, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Fast forward another three minutes. <laughs> um, the, the, so they are all, especially the, the son who organizes it, but the whole family is masterful at getting themselves into this family and sneaking and knowing how to like, break all the rules and get around and trick them and take advantage. And then the very first night that the family's away, they all come and spend the time in the house and they're getting drunk and they're breaking things and they're hanging out and they're sleeping everywhere. Like a family like that with a big, rich, like very fancy, technological, like modern house would have cameras. They'd have a camera at the
0: front door. there'd be cameras everywhere. There was a the camera imp- at the front door. They saw who it was. He's and she. At no, first but I'm d- saying, but
3: there'd be cameras in the house also. There'd be baby monitor. Like the the idea that they'd all just come in the house and hang out. It's one thing if the family goes away all the time and over time you know how to work. But like it's literally the first night that the family's gone and they're immediately like, let's risk everything. And while I was watching the movie, I was I was I was texting with you Av in real time. Yeah. And I said this is really annoying because I know they're about to get caught. Now the way they got caught was very surprising to me and didn't, and it was not what I saw coming. But yeah. the fact that they would get caught, I thought was like too predictable and obvious, and it just didn't make sense that they're so careful about everything and they're back story and their lives and everything and then they're so sloppy about you know getting drunk yeah. in the house and breaking things like so, so, the first possible chance
0: so i think i think the answer to that and you could take it or leave it is that as soon as they like go get into that house they become the rich people and they become oblivious and carefree and they don't think it through and remind yourself what was the exact thing that the rich family was doing at that time they were camping they were living like poor yeah. people like out in the wilderness so like they switch places so yeah. the, the obliviousness that the rich family lives with now they live with um yeah. And it's just like – there's so many just like little things in the movie that I think just like kind of like flip those things. Um, again, I think we're still in spoilers. I don't. I, I didn't even realize this until either the second or third time that I saw this. The, the guy who's in the basement, we're supposed to understand that he worked in the cell phone store that they're stealing the Wi-Fi from at the beginning or the internet cafe. So there's just like this like parasite relationship going in every direction where like they're trying to live off the rich people but they're also – parasiting if that's a word off the people that are even below them it's just like everybody is screwing everybody yeah now this movie
3: is obviously going to win for best foreign language film at the oscar right
0: yeah that's a lot since it's li- since it's literally nominated for best picture also yeah it's a lock for foreign language movie it's actually called best yeah. international feature now whatever yeah. so, um, yeah. and it is it he it's probably like the going to be the runner up most likely for director and picture um, unless there's a surprise. But it's, it's both of those are two are two man races at this point between Paris and just an inside,
3: an inside Oscars question for you. It's best international language. So an English speaking movie made in England or Australia or South Africa would not
2: count for that category. I don't think so cuz 1917 was a foreign language film always.
0: Well, it was it used no, to be called foreign it language can't be film. In English. Now they call it international feature, but I think the oh, I think oh, the rule I, I think the rules are still the same. Got it. Like 1917 yeah. was not nominated yeah. for international feature, which yeah, well, obviously would have been if it was these movies are made in England. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's I, yeah. I think the eligibility is still the same. It needs to have like a certain percentage of the movie in a foreign language, which is why The Farewell for example was not eligible for foreign language because uh, too much of the movie is in English. Mm, okay,
3: now let's get to your number one movie of the year Again, I will implore listeners uh, Go listen to Ov's 32 fans Movies podcast episode All about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood He goes or, into it in Or depth. one of like 12
0: other <laughs> movie, movie but podcasts like, I mean,
3: that I, that, I think that might have been the best episode of your podcast Or like, the I, article I was, he wrote, ranking every scene One of the reasons I was so excited to see this movie Honestly, was to listen to your podcast about it Oh, thank you I, th- I thought it was a very good podcast Thank you, yeah, um,
0: I, I enjoyed doing and the podcast It made me like the movie even more than I did when I watched it So credit for you Thank you. Um, I also, uh, at some point this summer, wrote up a post of ranking yeah. all this all the scenes in this movie, which was a ton of fun for me to do. And if you're at all inclined to check that out, you know, check it out. Um, but yeah, so... Quentin Tarantino's ninth movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, basically takes us into the real life 1969 in Hollywood through the fictional characters of Leonardo DiCaprio's Rick Dalton and Brad Pitt's Cliff Booth. Um, They are set up to be the neighbors of Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, who, spoiler from real life, Sharon Tate was murdered in August of 1969 by the Manson family, and that event is looked at by many in the Hollywood community and the American community as, like, the end of the 60s, when, like, the dark underbelly of you know, the hippie movement and the summer of love and all all the things that, like, kind of people had been only seeing the good of for 10 years all, like, came home to roost in this, like, horrifying manner when Sharon Tate and her house guests and her baby inside of her uterus were all murdered on that August night. Um, so that's, like, a big part of, like, the story of Hollywood and, like, this at least the story that Hollywood tells itself. And similarly, it's, like, kind of, like, maps onto the American story as, like, the 60s being this end of, like good times and rock and roll and fun before like Vietnam really started to escalate and go in a terrible direction and Nixon and Watergate and all the scandals that would kind of make Americans lose faith in its government and in some ways have never recovered Um, and to me what Tarantino does in this movie that I thought was just so brilliant and that I think many people who saw it and didn't really like it, I think still just like don't really understand is that Almost every scene in this movie is about the ways in which Hollywood tricks us and by using different devices, whether it's what Al Pacino's character talks about in the film's opening scene about how they're going to use the way that Rick Dalton is going to start to like lose in his duels in the Westerns in order to lower the, the real-life actor Rick Dalton's stock as a, a you know an actor in Hollywood. Um, the way that Cliff Booth is set up as a character in this movie who is probably a bad guy, a guy who may have murdered his wife on a boat. <laughs> now, obviously, the movie leaves that ambiguous because it wants you to be able to think about both directions, but... Because it's Brad Pitt and because we love Brad Pitt and he's so charming and cool and good-looking and just, like, we have this relationship. There's no
2: him. 50-50 here. There's no 50-50, right? You just like him and just assume he didn't do it or hope he didn't do well, it. Well, you
0: also – or you or assume he not Chester said she had a coming. Yeah, or because Leo believes him that he didn't do it and we love Leo and, you know, his character is a good guy. So, like, you kind of just – you know, you, you look aside And, you know, I think, like, that idea is, like, really what Tarantino is trying to explore in this movie, that we have this story that Hollywood has told itself about the end of the 60s and how it's this, like, these good old days that, like, if only we could go back to the good old days in this, like, fairy tale movie, then everything would be okay. But often nostalgia is bullshit, for lack of a better word. And, like, we romanticize these times when things were actually worse. It's this idea that I think, Alex, we talked about recently, the the movie... um, the Woody Allen movie, um, Midnight. What's it? Midnight in Paris. That yeah. th- that scene where like he keeps going back to further times, so and they're all and there they're reminiscing about the twenties, and he goes to the twenties, and they're reminiscing about the eighteen eighties, and it's this like fundamental human idea that, like, we think that the time before us was better somehow and that, you know, if only we could recapture the magic, it would be better. Uh, but really, like, the 60s had, like, a lot of problematic things about it. You know, you had people like Roman Polanski walking around. You had people like Cliff Booth walking around. And people were just, like, looking the other way. Um, and, you know, again, like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things in this movie that really try to focus you on that idea. The way that... The blurring of the real life and the fake, the, you know, movies and fiction. Um, I just... I thought... This movie was just like... It blew me away the first time I saw it. I've seen it like six times already. Um, I'll probably keep seeing it again and again.
2: Yeah, I rarely rewatch movies. I've already watched it, and it is an incredible... It's a delight.
3: All right, so Keith, let's hear your top Um, ten then.
2: Well, it's not even finished. If someone really cares, they can message me later in the week because I still have a couple movies to see. But I gave my top three, and um, I I can tell you a few more movies on, on the list. But yeah, Gems 1, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood 2, Parasite 3. What, what's your movie of the year, Chester? Us? No, I said that Get Out was my movie of the year a couple of years ago. I haven't seen it. Get Out, sorry. Oh, oh sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the other movie, I, I have Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, all the other stuff in there. Uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon, I really liked. I put that in my top 10 in Book Smart. Uh, so I have two more spots that, uh, uh, but, you know, 1917 should take a spot. I, it, you know, I like it the first 12 minutes. <laughs> and then I want to see. Uh, I want to see. Wait, I haven't seen waves. Wait,
0: did you not even see waves of? I saw it. Uh, it. I thought it was like okay. The first half is much better than the second half. Um, it like it, mm-hmm. the movie takes a, a turn. In the movie and then just like kind of focuses on different characters after that that I didn't really care mm-hmm. for. But I thought the first half was very good. And what's that movie, Honeyland? That I saw the documentary. You didn't see that, right? I, I did see. So that's the that was my but, number one twenty one. Not literally in terms of ranking. It was. It's a very good documentary. But that's a movie. But that, where would you have put that? Um, very good. I told you to watch that. It's a. It's a. Yeah, it definitely Armenian a, beekeeping documentary. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, it was for for sure, for sure being my top thirty, maybe my top twenty. I really liked it a lot. Um, it's one. Okay, of, yeah. Definitely one of the best documentaries so maybe of the year. Maybe that lands in mine too. Yeah, and the rare movie that was nominated for both documentary and foreign language film. Oh that's
2: interesting. Um and then uh, two more documentaries I want to see Tell Me Who I Am and Cold Case Hammerscold. Uh that Cold Case Hammerscold is right up Chester's Alley. Chester you should watch that or check it out. What's it called? If you like the first 10 minutes watch the movie if Cold Case Hammerscold what's the what's the guy's name the UN guy Hammerscold? Dog Hammerscold. Hammerscold. Dog Dog hammerscold yeah like yeah cold case hammerscold you'll it's it, it's up chester's alley watch that yeah i mean he's
3: entry. the guy who has the the un um the un uh,
2: plaza yeah plaza
3: named after him yeah
0: also there's a park yeah, right they right uh, there and they and they
2: find some crazy stuff okay so i did not see that one i i did time.
0: see tell me who i am and i i thought i i thought it was like a cool idea for a documentary but it didn't really go anywhere interesting in my opinion okay
3: okay all right uh do you have any uh, any crazy oscar predictions for tomorrow or no
0: um it's hard to because Tomorrow. like it, it really or seems like everything Sunday. is like every Wait. all the all the big awards seem to be pretty much locked down. The only exception to that is like maybe Parasite has a shot at best picture just because of like the the funky Oscar balloting and how that works. So like maybe like on the second or third ballot they'll rise higher than they would, but like 1917 is winning everything, so it'll probably win. Um parasite won the sag awards where 1917 was like didn't have any entries and they won the wga so you know there's a a little bit of momentum for parasite but i think you know most likely this is going to be 1917 winning picture director and a bunch of technical awards and it's it's very funny because they're going to win probably those top awards without any nominations for screenplay and any nominations for any actors which is very rare wow
3: all right. Well, Af, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you can be heard on 32 fans movies uh, talking about the best movies each month and also a sports movie bracket. You can be heard in your movie ladder where each week you discuss a movie connected to the previous movie. You can be heard with me on pretty, pretty, pretty good. A Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. Uh, where else
0: can we hear you off? Um, um, what does your wife have to say about you having four podcasts th- now? she i don't know if she knows exactly what everything that's going on but she doesn't seem yeah. to really care um i'm waiting for her to just like be like what the hell are you doing why what's going on here um yeah. but i i mostly do it like you know at nighttime after she goes to sleep so like she doesn't really care what i do then
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's a, a, a vices for a husband to have it's certainly not the worst one, so. <laughs> exactly i think that's the right answer <laughs> yeah it's like oh you talk to your friends about movies after i go to sleep okay you're yeah, a loser but whatever <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: also true I mean, it might make her uh, question her, her decisions, but.
0: Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. That's her problem.
3: Yeah. All right. Okay. Keith, uh, you have anything else to add? 10 second gap.
2: No, I had fun. Av, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure having you. You're very welcome. This is my favorite episode of 32 Fans every year. <laughs>
3: Until the uh, Jets Super Bowl preview episode. That's right. Yeah, but that's not annual. Or, or even centennial. All right. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.
3: You could hear yourself sweat He walks in
1: Eyes black as coal And when he lifts his face Every year in the place is on him
3: Starting soft and slow one hand for him, Alleluia. cause that's what it's there for, Alleluia.
1: and when Alleluia. your heart is troubled, you gotta reach out your other hand, Alleluia. reach it out to the man up
3: there, cause Alleluia. that's what he's there Alleluia. for, Alleluia. take my hand in your, walk with me this day, in my heart I